Welcome everyone to another episode of the Empowerment Minutes podcast. This is Maureen Quende, your podcast host, learning leader, researcher, speaker, and leadership coach. I am so excited to have Amber Waters on the show today. She's going to be telling us a lot about her role. She is uh, the head of learning and development with Heat Contracting. She is going to really tell us what's going on with L&D and uh, she would also let us know what's, you know, if there are any exciting things going on in her world that she would like to share with us. I'm so excited to have you on the show. When I saw your profile on LinkedIn, I was really intrigued by it. And uh, it's really inspiring to see someone who was, you know, uh, made those strides in the field. And uh, I thought, okay, why not reach out to you? And I'm so glad that you were able to honor our um, request. So thank you again. Thank you so much. So um, without much ado, I'm going to call on you, Amber, to let us know about yourself and what you currently do in the field of learning and development. Sure. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I am just honored to be here with you guys and to tell you a little bit about my story and what's happening in learning and development for me. So thank you. I'm very excited. Um, So my name is Amber Walters, obviously. My title is actually Manager of Learning and Development. However, I lead all of HIT University at HIT Mm -hmm. Contracting, um, which is out of Falls Church, Virginia. Uh, but they do have um, actually offices all over uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I lead all of HIT University from a learning and development perspective, as well as the organizational development side of things. To think that you guys have multiple locations. I have worked in Alexandria for over, I would say over eight years. So that's pretty close to where I used to work. It feels like I know your organization already. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I'm, you know, I'm excited or intrigued to even know about your story. Like, how did you get into L&D? You know, what's your story? If you can tell us about your journey. For me, you know, I got into the field accidentally. I was working for a telecommunication organization and I found myself in a training role and then I became a, a corporate trainer and I got really excited about training and development. And then from there, I launched into the field and I've not looked back since then. So I'm curious, what's your story? And sure. uh, you know, how did you get to uh, learning and development? Yeah, I find that there's a lot of people who kind of fall into learning and development. It's something that they never even knew really existed. But then once you get in it and you realize the importance of it, it's amazing where you can go. So my background, my story is kind of interesting. I actually have over 20 years of retail management experience. So I led one of the largest um, retail jewelry stores in in the country um, Mm -hmm. where I was very successful. However, after starting a family, anybody who has ever worked in retail knows that (laughs) start a family and you're working in retail management, it no longer is sustainable to be able to have that kind of retail schedule and commitment. So retail is just really hard. um, And anybody can tell you that. So as I tried to transition out, I found that it was really hard to transition out of retail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people see retail on your resume and they're just kind of like, ah, no, thank you. Not interested. Um, <laughs> however, I had the most amazing experience with a district manager at Capital One Bank. Um, give him a shout out. His name's Austin Isman. And uh, he was, uh, he really saw the potential and the transferable skills that I had in um, retail management. And I was hired at Capital One Bank as a retail relationship banker. Mm -hmm. So that was like finally transitioning out, 35 years old, three kids under the age of six, and I'm starting a new career. Took a step backwards. 
Um, so then during my first week uh, at Capital One as a banker, I went through orientation training. Mm-hmm. And my, during that orientation training, we had a week long training. And I was just completely intrigued by the facilitator. I was just like, this is like something that I am so passionate about and something I could totally do. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the week, I walked up to him. His name, his name is Eric Taylor. I walked up to him and I was like, one day I'm going to have your job. <laughs> I'm not shy. <laughs> so um, I said that to him and I was always thinking about it in the back of my head, but I was also very successful as a banker. Um, however, I found that I was completely bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. So it was then that I decided with all of that free time that I have, I'm going to go ahead and go back to school to get my master's in training and performance improvement. Um, so I took online classes. Um, you know, I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning and do schoolwork until 7.30 in the morning. And then I would go to my job and I'd come home and I'd have my three kids. And it was a crazy uh, couple of years. Wow. I can However, yeah. <laughs> However, I also during that time went to the facilitator for my onboarding class um, and asked him if he would be my mentor. So between taking my classes, working with my mentor, um, after about a year of all of that, I actually um, applied for a facilitator role with mm-hmm. their learning and development team. Um, and when Eric, my mentor, got promoted, I got his job. Wow. So it's kind of like how I scooped into it. Um, So since then, I worked as a facilitator with Capital One. Then I was recruited via LinkedIn um, Mm -hmm. for a global retail training manager position at Under Armour out of Mm -hmm. Baltimore. Um, So there I was really able to put all of my skills together. So I had, you know, the retail experience already. Mm -hmm. I had the managerial experience already. And then I have my training background now. And I was really able to start building this um, start to finish training. So Mm -hmm. asking the right questions, being able to identify the needs, doing the gap analysis, working with the SMEs. This is the first time I really had a chance to to sit at the table when Mm -hmm. it came to product development and launch. So towards the Mm -hmm. end of my tenure with Under Armour, I was actually sitting around the table with all of the people deciding what the next big shoe release was going to be. And that's huge for L&D to be part of that. Absolutely. Because most often, even in my experience, it's just like completely separate what L&D does and, you know, then and, you know, how it impacts the organization. So that's really an exciting journey that you have on there. Being in retail and then from there transferring into um, into uh, training and development, it's, it's huge. And I would I would commend your um, your coworker who was the facilitator when he told him you know you like his job and he went ahead and became your mentor. I mean, right. what are the odds? Because most people you know they would say, okay, want me to mentor you? You come in for my job, and then they probably <laughs> were, we're going to make things even difficult for you. But having that person who could help you hold your hand with an organization to pave your way, and then the opportunity come comes up where you know he got promoted and you got that role is just. I mean, it, it's rarely ever happened. So I would say you really got lucky there. <laughs> yes. So he's, yeah. he's an amazing individual and somebody that I really look up to, you know, not just in that moment, but in my mm-hmm. career, like I'm always looking for people that can be the next me because I yes. don't want to stay where I am forever. I want someone who can be the next me. So how can I help them to get there? Yes, and I absolutely. That's important. Yeah, that's so true. Like one of my um, 
celebrities that I like uh, is, you know, Denzel Washington. He always says that, you know, when it's time for you to go, you don't take anything with you. So while you're here, if you can be able to make, you know, a difference to add value, you know, you know, empower other people, then that's what, you know, they would remember you for. So, um, you know, do what you can do to be able to make a difference in what you'll be remembered for. So that's really exciting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I would think like from retail to facilitating, then to training, and then being able to make a difference, like being able to lend a voice to the people who are making a decision at the table is really empowering. Like you, mm -hmm. you, you got a sweet spot right there. So um, yeah. that's quite a, um, a fascinating journey. So thank you so much for, um, you know, for sharing that with us. Sure. I, I, I do have a couple more roles if you want me to keep going. Oh, so. yeah, please, please do. Please do. Because someone out there might be thinking, wait, this is where I am right now. How do I get to where she is? Like, it helps. That journey really helps someone who thinks that they might be stuck or might be thinking, well, I'm doing this right now. There is no way I can transition to that. And right. then even, you know, someone who has children, someone who thinks your degree has nothing to do with what you're working on. And then so that's going to, you know, empower them to think, wait, she did it for 20 years and then she was still able to do this with two children still able to go back to school or have a new degree and everything I mean you're a wonder woman you're a superwoman they can be that person too so yes please go ahead and tell us okay you know, all right so um so Under Armour was awesome it was a really good opportunity for me it was a, a great to be able to see and make the changes mm -hmm. um my next phase in my career, I was actually recruited to be a director of global learning and development at Marriott International. Mm -hmm. So they are actually headquartered out of um, Bethesda, Maryland, but they are obviously all over the globe. Um, so there, I it was much more of a direct working with the SMEs. And I can't say that I literally did anything <laughs> as much as I was more of the product <laughs> manager, the cat wrangler, the SMEs, the strategy yeah, yeah. behind everything. And then being able to really lead all of the graphic designers, the instructional designers, um, all of the vendors that we had that we were using for all of our trainings. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, you know, a big change from what I was doing at Under Armour, where I was doing everything kind of A through Z. Um, here, wow. I was more focused on kind of the strategy. So that's mm -hmm. where I learned really all about my strategy and how to see the big picture mm -hmm. and how to work with difficult SMEs or people that, you know, getting everybody in the same room to agree and things like that. So I learned a lot there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, COVID-19 hit. <laughs> Which we all we all kind of know what happened to the hospitality business in that situation. Absolutely. Um, so um, you know everybody kind of went on furlough and everything got put on hold. And it was during that time that I decided it was it was time to look for my next my next step. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where I thanks to LinkedIn again. I feel like this is a commercial for LinkedIn, but <laughs> <laughs> thanks to LinkedIn again. I'm not sponsoring this video. <laughs> This recording. <laughs> um, I was connected to the CHRO there at HIT Contracting and um, was offered this amazing opportunity at HIT, okay. which is where I am now. That's amazing. You know, I was going to ask you like how your background contributed to your role, your current role, but we've kind of already talked about it. So that's really exciting. Um, it looks like in your journey, you know, even though you went kind of backwards before getting into this role, uh, the opportunity to meet some the right people at the right time were able to make an impact in your career. And, I would and, say getting to know the right people is yes. probably the biggest step in anything. 
Yes. Like being able to have the courage and the willpower to say, this is what I want. And I'm asking you if you can help me and then helping them along the way too, because, you know, being a mentor, somebody might be new to that. So Mm -hmm. do they know what questions they're supposed to be asking you? Do you, do they know what you want out of them? So having an idea of what you want to get out of a mentor relationship and having an idea of what you need to know to be able to make it to the next steps is so important. Absolutely. Because you're right. Like, what if you're like, okay, well, yes, I want to mentor you. Then what do I do? So you, both of you can be lost out there. So being able to know what you want, it definitely helps them to know how they can help you and you can work together. And even working with the SMEs that you were working with, we all know how much of a challenge it is working with SMEs because they're like, you know, I'm the person, I'm the trainer here. You don't know what you're doing. So being able to navigate working with them, with graphic designers and all that, um, if you don't know what you're doing, you might end up with gray hair earlier than later. <laughs> In my experience, I would say that. So it takes a lot of skills to be able to navigate that, being able to communicate with them. It takes a lot of leadership skills, I would say, being able to work with um, SMEs as well as uh, project management skills. So mm-hmm. you really have a very exciting background. I was looking at, I know you love LinkedIn and I'm gonna you know, talk about LinkedIn now. Um, they're not sponsoring this video, but I found the 2021 report on uh, workforce uh, development and it was saying that there has been a surge and increase you know, in the number of uh, L&D leaders who are, are having a seat at the table up to uh, about 63%. So there's been a 27% increase. So that means that, you know, organizations are starting to really understand that L&D has, you know, some value that we're bringing, you know, playing into the growth of the organization. So I know that you have some relationship with these people who are C-suite executives. What do you think as learning and development leaders, how do you think we can add value to maintain that position at the table where we currently are? Yeah, absolutely. So I can't say that I have a seat at the C-suite table yet, though that is a goal of mine in the future. (laughs) (laughs) I know where I want to go. Um, However, I have an amazing ability to work one-on-one with our CEO and and co-presidents, as well as members of the C-suite, as often as needed. So our organization has been amazing um, since I've been there in June about welcoming my strategies and ideas and mm-hmm. how to take hit contracting to the next level. They actually see um, hit university as one of the biggest steps to get mm-hmm. us to that next level. So I'm super excited to continue to work with them. And you know, the, the thing of it is LD has a bad breath. It really does. So you know, it's something where the idea of sitting in a classroom for hours or taking a training, sitting in front of a computer and just like clicking next for an hour is yeah. daunting and just sick to most <laughs> executives, right? So yes. they want their team members doing things that are going to drive business, profit. Um, and they want the, if they're going to be sitting there, they want them to actually be learning in that situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being able to just get the message out there that this field is wonderful about the ability to always be improving ourselves. Absolutely. The micro learnings, multiple modalities, and seeing the innovations that we're able to do these days, we're really able to provide on the job, relatable and effective training. That's going to prove that ROI time over time, but you've got to find a way to, to get that message out there. So, you know, one thing I've, I've always thought like, and that we're working towards um, in the, few months that I've been there, there's always going to be compliance training. That's Mm -hmm. a must have. 
right? However, when you are really making an impact, it's the elective trainings that are going to make that change. When they're being requested, they're being taken and they're being evaluated at a high level, Mm -hmm. then we're able to really show the impact. So we're working on ways where we can show impact in our trainings, actually on job sites, how we can um, receive feedback from clients and see how our training has affected the ability to meet with our clients and to communicate effectively with them, as well as in our engagement surveys. So it's just, you know, the promise of showing a kind of impact like that is allowed us to make huge strides in creating and updating our training in effective ways. Absolutely. I would definitely agree. You have more you know, experience and expertise than I do, but I, I think many CFOs, many people who are making those decisions would like to see the numbers. What are the numbers showing us? So, uh, they like to see some sort of data. So if you're having survey data, it's showing even an increase in the number of people that are taking training, showing that people are even performing better in their jobs, which means that it's saving money, uh, you know, hiring people, laying them off, you know, training new people and all that. It's definitely worth the investment. And with the COVID situation now that many people are now having to work from home, they're now having to learn new skills. Um, Some people are now even learning different skills that, or they had to upskill as a result of the the COVID situation. So definitely I see a huge uh, benefit in that. And I'm hoping that we can stay where we are and even grow. And so people, you know, can really see that we're adding or adding value to the organization, one training at a time. So that's really exciting. Thank you so much yeah, for being the, part of that. I have to that. say that the pandemic has been huge in making the strides of transitioning to micro learnings, transitioning to digital, because yes. there's no choice. <laughs> you know, organizations are finding themselves kind of stuck in a hard place where, oh, I can't have four hour in-person trainings anymore. What? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's, Hey, guess what? I'm going to create you this micro learning. It's going to be a series of three minute videos with activities and different things that they can do. And they're like, never heard of that before, but you do you go. (laughs) It's really given me the opportunity to make those innovations. um, Even though it's been horrible, you know, Mm -hmm. it it is, it has been seen big strides in the learning development community. I think micro learning, you know, is one of those um, things that initially we're not so sure about, but definitely it's really it's really resonating with many people, you know, because you're just, it's kind of like just in time learning. You just want to learn this thing and transfer it to your job immediately. So I see how, you know, micro learning is really growing and even becoming more impactful in our work. Yep. And I see it as searchable micro learnings too, that are so important. Mm -hmm. Whereas being able to have a learning management system where somebody can type in something specific that they're looking for, and then it pops up with a video or quick online training Mm-hmm. So that they can actually, you know, learn that skill and then move on and do it on their job site. Because when when you're at home and you're like fixing a kitchen sink and you don't know what you're doing, what do you do? You pick up your phone and you're like, yes. hey, Siri, <laughs> show me how to fix the kitchen sink of this type. And then it pops up with a YouTube video. Yeah, Wait, I'm an expert. I'm an expert at doing that. It, I mean, there's <laughs> no other way. That's what most people do now. Yeah. So I that's agree. what our training needs to be. That's what it needs to be. Thank you so much. So what is it that you're working on that you'd like maybe our audience to know? I know you talked a lot about micro learning. Is there any other thing that, you know, in, in and you talked a lot about innovation as well, so even doing the same thing, but doing the same things differently. Are there any other tips that you like to share um, that you're working on in your organization that other maybe L&D experts can 
can you know take advantage of or just be aware that would be great to share so i think a big thing that i would kind of you brought it up earlier about a seat at the table mm -hmm. and i think maintaining the seat at the table for an lnd professional is so important and what people need to do in that it's really imperative that we have a strategy and that mm -hmm. we know how to articulate that strategy and then being able to find high level sponsors within the organization Absolutely. that have a growth mindset and want to continue to learn that are going to advocate for you going forward. So this is something that I did when coming into HIT contracting um, by putting together a group of HIT university deans. Mm -hmm. So we have different schools within HIT university and then each school has a dean or two or three. Okay. So this team has been imperative for the success of our organization to ensure that not only we're thought of at the beginning of initiatives and not at the last minute in the end, mm -hmm. but also ensuring that we are creating training that truly resonates with our audience. So these are right. people that are out there in the field or they're in specific lo um, either locations or job types. And they're, they're the ones that are helping me to review this training and helping me to write these storyboards that are really going to be effective and resonate on the job. Um, you know, I, I really say that L&D is part of a new initiative uh, and policy or innovation. They need to be part of it at any at the very beginning. I actually um, had a situation where within the first 90 days that I was at HIT, the director of marketing said to me, wow, you just got your hands in everything, don't you? And uh, though I'm not sure that she meant it as a compliment, my response was actually, yes, thank goodness, because that's the way it should be, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think being in the room in the early stages is a big thing. And then not being afraid to speak up and be the subject matter expert in all things learning. So show your worth, maintain that seat at the table, show that you're an expert, and don't suffer from um, imposter syndrome. Like that's something that is really big right now. Um, yes, it affects on, you know, high achieving individuals not feeling worthy of their accomplishments. Um, so here to tell you, like, if you're an L&D and you have a seat at that table, you belong there. So, Absolutely. you know, that's something that I, I really hope to kind of inspire others to do and, uh, you know, to take the steps that they need to to be successful in L&D. And you do too, obviously, with your podcast. This has been great. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you so much. We want to wish you the best in your personal and professional life. And if anyone wants to uh, connect with Amber, you can find her on LinkedIn. Thanks again. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you.